Good afternoon. It's Wednesday, the 31st of August 2022, just after one o'clock. Welcome to UK Column News and your host today, Mike Robinson, myself, Brian Gerrish. And uh, we're delighted to be joined by the trio of David Scott, Debbie Evans and also Alex Thompson from the Netherlands. Well, we're going to get straight on with uh, vaccines. Indeed. Um, so it appears the government is very confused about advice. Debbie, what are you discovering and why is this so important for the public? Well, good afternoon, everyone. And yes, there's a lot of confusion um, over a government document that's been highlighted with regards to toxicity and data for uh, pregnant women and breastfeeding women. Now, this all started from a, a tweet where somebody had discovered a government document. And as a result, there have been a few articles published. And I know that we're going to see one in the Euro um, that explains that really what happened here was that um, a post which gathered over 250 retweets and hundreds of comments appears to show advice regarding the COVID vaccine for pregnant and breastfeeding women that contradicts the guidance from the UK government during the pandemic. In the post, Twitter account at Law or Fiction wrote, since the start, government has promised the jabs are safe for pregnant and breastfeeding women. There was no data then, and suddenly they now say lack of data means it cannot be declared safe. Now, if we go on and just sort of delve into this a little bit deeper to see what else they've said, they've said that um, really, you know, Back along in 2020, the government had said that there was toxicity issues with the vaccine for pregnant women. However, Sir Christopher Whitty at the time was saying that the vaccine was extremely safe. And you can see there that there's a quote there from Sir Professor Christopher Whitty saying the COVID vaccine in pregnancy was a very good thing to do for your newborn baby. And then there was another article in the American Vagabond as well saying exactly the same. And then all of a sudden last night, the Department of Health were very quick to, to jump onto Twitter and to jump onto Facebook to say incorrect information about the COVID vaccine and pregnancy is spreading online. Extensive data shows the vaccine is safe and highly effective for pregnant and breastfeeding women. So let's have a look at the document that's actually caused all of the confusion. And the document's called the Summary of the Public Assessment Report for COVID-19 Vaccine Pfizer-BioNTech. And you can see there in the bottom right-hand corner the toxicity conclusions. And I don't know if you want to read it out, Mike or Brian. It's a little bit small for me, so you might read it out a little bit. Uh, okay. It says uh, the absence of reproductive toxicity data is a reflection of the speed of development to the first identity and select COVID-19 mRNA vaccine for clinical testing and its rapid development to meet the ongoing urgent health need. In principle, a decision on licensing a vaccine could be taken in these circumstances without data from reproductive toxicity studies um, in animals, uh, but there are studies ongoing and these will be provided when available in the context of supply and deregulation 174, it is considered that sufficient re uh, reassurance of safe use of the vaccine in pregnant women cannot be provided at the present time. However, use in women of childbearing potential could be supported 
provided healthcare professionals are advised to rule out known or suspected pregnancy prior to vaccination. Women who are breastfeeding should also not be vaccinated. These judgments reflect the absence of data at the present time and do not reflect a specific finding of concern. Adequate advice with regard to women of childbearing potential, pregnant women and breastfeeding women has been provided in both the information for UK healthcare professionals and the information for UK recipients. That's, uh, that's a pretty mealy-mouthed statement, Debbie. It is, and that document was updated, which is, is the confusing issue in all of this. That document was updated on the 16th of August 2022, so the dates are very important here. But, I mean, quite clearly you can see from that document that breastfeeding women should not be vaccinated. And I, I looked in depth at that document and I'd be very interested to know what other people think. So you can also see in that document that we've got mentions of carcinogenity, um, where it says carcinogenity studies with BNT162B2 have not been conducted as the components of all vaccine constructs are lipids and RNA that are not expected to have carcinogenic or tumorigenic potential. It also says on the, in, in the middle, no single dose toxicity studies have been performed. It also set, goes on to say with regards to excretion, no excretion studies have been conducted with COVID-19 mRNA vaccine. Again, with pharmacokinetic at the bottom, no PK drug interaction studies have been conducted. So we can see clearly from this that there are a lot of studies that haven't been conducted. And if we go on again and look at pharmacokinetics, and I'd be very interested if there are any experts out there that can maybe, and this just will illustrate the confusion around all of this, is that in that paper it talks about N1 methyl pseudo pseudoridian um, apologies for the pronunciation now i just went to look for the dated safety sheet on this product and i could see that it said that classified that the document that the data was classified based on available data so i don't know anything about this but this has come up in this paper adding to the confusion so then i thought well let's go and see what sir christopher witty said back in November 2021 with regards to his advice for pregnant and breastfeeding women. So I don't know if you've got the clip there of, um, it's a very short clip from, from Professor Christopher Whitty, who clearly is urging people and pregnant, pregnant women, uh, pregnant women, I might say, um, to take the vaccine. Would, and the second point I wanted to make on this, like to pull out in particular uh, the issue of women who are pregnant uh, or intending to get pregnant. And I would just like to give you some fairly stark facts about this because this is a major concern. Based on academic data uh, from the 1st of February through to the 30th of September, so aiming off because obviously early on in that period people of this age would not have been vaccinated, uh, 1,714 pregnant women were admitted to hospital with COVID. Of those, 1,681, which is, say, 98%, had not been vaccinated. And if you go to those who were very severely ill in intensive care, of 235 women admitted to ICU, 232 of them 
over 98% had not been vaccinated. These are preventable admissions to ICU and there have been deaths. All the medical opinion is really clear that the benefits of vaccination far outweigh the risks in every area. This is a universal view among doctors and among the midwife advisory groups and among the scientific advisory groups. So can I please encourage all women who are pregnant or wishing to become pregnant uh, to get their vaccination? And I would extend that also incidentally to flu, which is also very dangerous for women who are pregnant. Yeah. Well, I thought his voice sounded quite shaky there, actually. So bearing in mind what Sir Christopher Whitty had said, I thought I'll go and have a look and see what other people are saying. So the next few slides are going to be just whizzing through. But first of all, the one that I really want to highlight on is the MHRA. And so I just I took this yesterday, um, last night. So this is up to date. And you can see the date on there says updated 16th of August 2022. So let's look at the wording very, very carefully. Pregnancy, there is limited experience with use of COVID-19 mRNA vaccine BNT162B2 in pregnant women. Then you go on with breastfeeding. It is unknown whether the COVID-19 mRNA vaccine BNT162B2 is excreted in human milk. It also says, sorry, I missed that little bit at the top, administration of the COVID-19 mRNA vaccine BNT162B2 in pregnancy should only be considered when the potential benefits outweigh any potential risks for the mother and fetus. So clearly, the MHRA are not saying definitively one way or the other. Actually, if anything, they're sitting on the fence. So then I thought, okay, well, that's what the MHRA uh, 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 saying, let's go and see what Scotland is saying. So we're just going to whiz through just so that you know that I've been to see what people are saying. So in Scotland, nothing to see here, go and have the vaccine. Then we'll flip to the UK HSA. And again, you'll be able to see, no, nothing to see here. They don't seem to have um, um, heard about this paper or the toxicity. Carry on, everybody that's pregnant go and have the vaccine. And clearly the chief midwife in London, um, she says, that's Kate Brintworth, she's saying exactly the same. Pregnant uh, women, please be assured the vaccine is safe. Please take it as soon as possible. In fact, some people are saying it's even beneficial to the pregnant woman and their babies. And then we can flip on to bumps. Um, and bumps is the best use of medicines in, in pregnancy. So you know, um, oh, and also the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists are all saying the same. Go and have the jab, go and have the injection. Nothing to see here. So, oh, and the BBC too, you know, they're, they're saying it. Everybody's saying it. Go and have the injection. So clearly we've got a huge amount of confusion. But my, my question is still, why has the government still got that um, advisory sheet up on its website, clearly recommending caution, which we've always known with, with regards to pregnant women, because in my day, we couldn't eat, even eat soft cheese, let alone take an experimental injection. And I know David's got quite a lot to, to say on this as well. So I'd like to, to hand over to him because the confusion over all of this, and I know Professor Fenton has been very vocal on Twitter. So for anybody that wants to see what Professor Fenton is saying, 
um, have a look at his Twitter. But David, um, your thoughts? Yes, I mean, I was trying to get a, a handle on exactly what this information was telling us because you pointed out the two pieces of information that very clearly says there's an absence of data and there's a risk against a plethora of, of advice to go ahead and get vaccinated. Um, just to give one example of the advice to go ahead, uh, a quote here from Dr. June Rain, Chief Executive of the MHRA, quote, we want to reassure all pregnant women that COVID-19 vaccines are safe and effective for them to use at all stages of pregnancy. Our rigorous safety monitoring of these vaccines in pregnancy shows that vaccines are safe and there's no increase of pregnancy complications, miscarriage or stillbirth. The data highlights the importance of those who are pregnant receiving the vaccine. Our advice remains that the benefits of vaccination outweigh the risks for most people, including those who are pregnant. We encourage pregnant women to come forward and receive the vaccine. Please speak to your doctor or midwife if you have any questions. So again, very clear advice from Dr. June, right? Um, but again, uh, but this is MHRA talking about risk assessment. And we've been after them for risk assessments for 15 months, and we can't get a single risk assessment out of them. They don't seem to exist. And we know there's no process for, for, um, for analysing the, uh, the yellow card data. So I went to look for what the government line was in this. So I found um, on Twitter, uh, Dr. Victoria Mayo of the Faculty of Medicine, she's a lecturer in reproductive immunology at Imperial College London. And she's coming out with her analysis of this, which is very much the government line, Imperial College, it's what you would expect. These are the experts that the government are referring to. Um, and, and she says, well, the data's old data. So it, it, it goes, although it's been refreshed in the last few days and not changed, it originally came in in December 2020. So it's old data and it's been, it's been substituted, it's been replaced by independent studies by other people, not by Pfizer. Pfizer haven't got anything further to say on this. Pfizer haven't got any more data. That's why this still shows the, there's no toxicology information that shouldn't be used on pregnant women because Pfizer have nothing to say otherwise but independent studies have. This raises certain questions. I'll come to those in just a minute. She also has an explainer which she's got online that says, that analyzes these things. So she says, uh, in response to the question, is it safety of COVID vaccine during pregnancy? She says, yes, the safety of COVID vaccination in pregnancy has been monitored in a number of ways. Passive monitoring schemes such as Yellow Card in UK collect information that doctors, patients and the families report. Neither of these schemes has detected adverse events occurring more often following COVID vaccination than they normally do in pregnancy. In the UK, on the 16th of August 21, at which point 55,000 pregnant people had been vaccinated, the MHRA released a statement saying there was no pattern from the reports to suggest that any of the COVID-19 vaccinations used in the UK or any reactions to these vaccinations increase the risk of miscarriage or stillbirth. So they're saying 55,000, and, and, and essentially they're looking at the yellow card system as proof. Now, this brings up several questions that are not answered. Firstly, the yellow card system currently has 818 doctors, families, and, 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 and women who have reported what they perceive as an adverse reaction of miscarriage following the, following the vaccination. Now, I would have thought in any other case, that would have been a huge red flag. 
but 818, they're saying, no, no, there's been so many women um, vaccinated that that's, that's normal. But it's not clear whether they're factoring in the underreporting in the LCAR system. They used to say 10%, if you're lucky, of very serious reactions, maybe only 1% or 2% of less serious reactions. So how many actual miscarriages does 818 report uh, represent? Is it 8,000? Is it more? We don't know, and they're not analysing it. Secondly, they're not analysing when the vaccination was administered. Was it in the first trimester or was it later in pregnancy? Because that hugely skews the data because almost all miscarriages are in the first three months. All of this brings me to the questions. Um, clearly, there's been a change in the government advice. We don't know when. It would be good to know when. When that change was made, what data was it based on? We don't know that either. And was that data substantial? Did it include risk assessment or did it not? And finally, if the data was not sufficient, and my fear is that's the case, uh, why was the decision made? Was it made in order to um, bolster the general uh, sage-motivated psychological um, um, manipulation of the population as a whole to get vaccinated. Did they take the decision that to say to all women under 40, there's a risk here, it's unacceptable if you're pregnant or might get pregnant, don't take the vaccine. That they took the view that that would under, undermine the entire vaccination programme and undermine the messaging and therefore they took the decision? Or did they take the decision based on objective rigorously analysed data with a quantitative risk assessment. I think we need to know which it is. Yes, indeed. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll just say my, one of the comments in our chat box as, uh, as uh, Debbie and David were covering that was insanity. And I, I think that's an appropriate comment, but it's malicious because at the end of the day, women are being harmed, children are being harmed. So we need some answers from the MHRA and the Commission on Human Medicines. Yes. Uh, and uh, well, we've got a bit of a preview of this, but Debbie, uh, one final graphic here, our sincere condolences. Um, yeah, I just wanted to highlight this because there are an awful lot of families out there that um, deaths not yet explained. They don't know why their loved one died. Um, and this was sent to me um, uh, in memorial to, to Simon. And I thought I would just pop that up and our condolences to, to him and the thousands of others, including children. Um, and also just to highlight um, the candlelit vigil to be held in Manchester. Um, sorry, it's a little bit small, so could so, you just clarify the date for me, Mike? Or Brian? So it's, Thank St. You. Pete, it's St Peter's Square, that's M25DB, Thursday the 8th of September from 4 till 7pm. Yeah. OK, well, look, uh, let's move on and sticking with uh, mortality, the latest uh, all cause mortality statistics are out from the uh, Office for National Statistics. They were tweeting about this this morning. Uh, and if we look at the uh, far right hand side of this graph, which runs from January 2020 to up to the 19th of August 2022, we see another week, uh, another week of excess mortality and another week of silence, uh, more or less from the mainstream media, but certainly from politicians. So 10,982 deaths registered in England and Wales in the week ending 19th of August 2022. 
Uh, that's uh, an increase compared to the previous week, which was 10,355. Uh, and there were 18.6%, uh, sorry, that was 18.6% uh, above the five-year average, so 1,719 excess deaths. Uh, and of those, only 551 mentioned COVID-19 on the death certificate, and a smaller proportion of those, again, uh, where the death certificate claimed that COVID-19 was the underlying cause. Uh, that's just for England and Wales. If we take the UK as a whole, it was 12,486, sorry, 66 deaths, which was 17.8% above the five-year average. So the other uh, regions of the uh, UK doing a little bit, a little bit better. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, we continue to see the most uh, excess deaths taking place in private homes as people continue to be uh, uh, sent home or refuse to go to hospital. Um, and uh, as, I, as I say, complete silence on the causes of this. Um, so uh, that uh, situation continues to deteriorate and virtually nothing from a politician or a uh, media outlet on it. Or, or appropriate uh, civil servant either particularly yes. the NHS, Mike. Yeah, so let's move on to uh, economic news. And uh, well, inflation, if you remember last week, uh, Citibank was suggesting was going to head up towards 18.6%. Uh, Goldman Sachs uh, in the last day or so have said, it, in fact, their, their assessment is it's going to go up to 22%, uh, mostly driven by energy costs, of course. Uh, and uh, well, oil rises on concern. Uh, oil prices are rising on concerns about higher demand and supply shortfall. Uh, continues to say. Now, what fascinates me about what's going on at the moment is uh, that this is effectively a continuation of the, uh, the effects of it at least, or, or a continuation of the types of uh, effects of lockdown policy on the economy. Uh, so we're seeing more and more commentary like this in the mainstream press, as the Sky News, uh, tweeting out pubs and breweries are seeing spiraling costs that are wiping out profits. Uh, it questions why on earth they would bother to open their doors going forward. Well, in fact, many are considering not, and or perhaps uh, uh, pubs less likely, but restaurants certainly intending to shut down uh, over the winter. Um, and we've got another tweet here from Good Morning Britain. Uh, it's not viable for us anymore to keep afloat. They're totally unreasonable figures. I think that the coming winter time, most businesses will come to their knees. Um, so I already know of a couple of uh, restaurants that are intending to close over the winter because of the cost of staying open in terms of energy and the fact that they don't get the same uh, footfall in the winter as they do in the summer. Um, so I was just wanted to add there, Mike, and we're also hearing the butchers are now talking about closing because they can't afford the electricity to keep their fridges and freezers going. Um, in the meantime, uh, the energy companies themselves, according to uh, Bloomberg, uh, UK sees up to £170 billion excess profits for energy firms. Estimates over the next two years show potential of windfall tax. Well, I'm not sure that that's going to help. But let's just uh, very briefly have a look at what uh, Boris uh, had to say, because he was being interviewed uh, by PA. Uh, and the interviewer actually put in a couple of sentences uh, really a good uh, description of how dire the situation is at the moment. And let's see what uh, Boris's response to that was. Ambulances queuing outside hospitals, food banks turning people away, thousands of migrants arriving every week illegally, wages falling at the fastest rate since the 1950s, a recession looming, strikes by rail workers, the Royal Mail, BT and Dockers, inflation at 10%. 
rising crime. Drug deaths sorry, are sorry, rising. Sorry, I'm going to let me just, let me Large just... numbers of unexplained excess deaths this summer. Constant travel disruption, a shortage of key workers, sterling in a new low against the dollar. Even the Eurostars aren't going to go to Disneyland anymore. Many people, though, think, though, Prime Minister, in a serious way, that Britain isn't working for them, that it is broken. And this has happened on your watch. Yes, it is absolutely true that because of Putin's war in Ukraine, uh, we have pressures on the cost of living. But we have the financial strength to get through them. And what we are also doing is making sure that we have the, the long-term British energy supplies that we need to get our people through. So uh, just look at, you, and you talk about people coming to this country. Actually, uh, that is just a, a symptom of why this country is uh, one of the most successful on earth. Of course people want to come and live here. Of course it's a perennial uh, difficulty to stop people uh, coming here illegally, but we're taking powers to do that. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm pleased we're doing it. So David, very briefly, uh, just wanted to get your thoughts on that. Well, for a start, the, it's Putin's fault is a lie, right? The reason that we've got runaway inflation is not to do with simply Putin's inv invasion of Ukraine or operations in the Ukraine. It's to do with the fact that we were printing money at an unprecedented rate as we shut the real economy down for about 18 months, completely unnecessarily because Boris Johnson and his government lost the nerve and started to allow Chris Whitty and co to run the country, and it was a disaster. Um, and and modelling from Imperial College to run the country, right? That's what's generated the inflation, not anything else. And if we're talking about energy policy, uh, we've been, um, Nicola Sturgeon's been posing outside uh, power stations being detonated and 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 flattened by explosives, smiling all over her face because, hey, coal's history. We have destroyed our, our energy independence, and who's sorry now? We are. This is all government policy. I do wish somebody somewhere, sometime, would actually take responsibility. Um, yes, well, let's uh, just have a very brief look at what's going on in other parts of the world. So over in the United States, uh, Similar kind of effect going on, but in, that this particular headline is about business rents. So record-breaking rent issues, 40% of U.S. small businesses can't pay. And they produce a, a graph here. This is from Alignable. 40% uh, of small businesses couldn't afford August rent. Uh, and the worst uh, sector is agriculture. And the least worst sector is retail. But they're all between 40 and 50% of businesses couldn't afford their rent in August. So clearly... Uh, there's a massive economic uh, disaster going on in the United States at the moment. Uh, soaring electricity prices amid global energy crunch have led to 20 million American households falling behind on their utility bills. So come this winter, uh, the prospect of them actually being able to pay is, is uh, <laughs> it just isn't there. Uh, same in the UK and Boris is busy saying, well, don't worry, we're going to maintain supplies. Well, of course, it's very easy to maintain supplies when there's no demand. Uh, and there's no demand because of the cost. Um, so uh, uh, then we come to France uh, and this article in The Connection, Macron, France is at the end of its age of abundance. Uh, and uh, well, let's just have a look at what this says. President Emmanuel Macron has called for unity from his government as he warns that France is the end of its age of abundance uh, due to the crisis caused by climate change, uh, international conflict and continued supply chain issues. We've lived through this stoppage of supply during the COVID period, and we're reliving it now even more intensely. He said, uh, when you look at France, Europe and the rest of the world, democracy and human rights 
uh, the teleology, that's the doctrine or ideology of the world order over the last few years has demolished some things we took for granted. Uh, it also, in, uh, sorry, it is also the end for those who ha that had it of a type of uh, indifference. Uh, war began again in Europe six months ago to the day. For many generations in our country, war is a reality which no longer existed. At the same time, the climate crisis and all its effects are there tangibly and the new risks are appearing all the time, like cyber attacks. We're living through a huge shift. And I'm just going to remind everybody at this point of what Mark Carney said in 2019. We will not get to net zero in a niche. It requires a whole economy transition. And just 30 seconds, David, that whole economy transition means a shutdown. It means shutdown. It means poverty. It means you are the carbon they wish to cancel. Uh, net zero means um, a move towards a more limited a lifestyle that's less um, less able to promote human thriving and is more able to promote uh, human degradation and decline. Yes. Uh, David, I'll, I'll add to that over, over the last few weeks in particular when we've done interviews with professional people, uh, many of them I've put it to them that if you can't understand the policies that are being put into place, enacted at the moment, uh, try thinking that we are being attacked by our own government, the country's being destroyed from within. And I've been utterly fascinated that uh, many of the people I've spoke to, professional, educated people, are saying, yes, this makes sense. We are being attacked and destroyed by our own government. Yes, I was uh, interviewing uh, an economist from the United States, uh, uh, Bob Murphy, um, uh, yesterday, uh, that, that will be on the UK column shortly, and I, I put this to him, and, and he's, he's a very cautious guy, he's an economist, he likes to have data for everything he says, I put it to him that what we're seeing is not simply error and mistake, we're seeing a maliciousness in government policy and, a, and, a, and an underlying philosophy that uh, means that that is very much intentional. And he said he he agreed. He said yes. It's it's not difficult to go to the higher echelons of the UN and others and find quotes from from leading people who are basically saying yes. We need to drastically reduce world population and we need to drastically change the entire tree of of Western society and civilization. It, they're on the record. These 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 goals and ambitions are are not hidden, and uh, they are to destroy. Okay, well, let's uh, welcome Alex onto the program then. And uh, well, in your Eastern approaches, guys, Alex, uh, let's have a look at the economic situation uh, towards the East. So Germany and Poland. We will, Mike. But before we leave France behind uh, on this point of uh, not being able to pay the fuel bills, the mayor of the town of Montartère in the département de l'Oise, north of Paris, has announced that he's simply not going to pay the fourfold gas bill increase uh, for his town council. However, he is a communist, uh, so that won't be replicated everywhere. He is perhaps an example of these refractory Gauls whom Macron famously deplored. And as with that mention of insouciance just there in the quotation, let's not skirt by this. Macron is, is using these core words of French self-identity, refractory and insouciante, and even teleology, which really means the purpose of life, a big big issue in French politics. What is the good life? He's saying that's all gone by the board now. Um, in, in another quotation of his once, he said uh, he's met people who are des nuls, they're nobodies. Uh, you know, that, that was a big shock around the time he was first elected. So 
uh, even France is showing what the game is, but we're going to go a little further east to Germany and Poland. Zero Hedge here, which is always excellent on such matters, has picked up um, a Reuters report, and Poland and Germany are both on this slide. That is no mistake. It is because Tyler Durden, the key writer for Zero Hedge, I think the founder, has spotted uh, this as one single trend. The uh, graph on screen indexes at 100 the most frequent uh, mentions that there have ever been for the search term Brennholz or firewood in German searches according to Google Trends. So you've guessed it, the most uh, popular time in history uh, for Germans to have searched for firewood is right now uh, and it's more than twice as much as during the 2007-2008 winter crash uh, but Poland was mentioned so we'll see that in a moment but on to uh, a summer piece because if you tap that again you will see that this is a July special Zero Hedge is good at subscribing to the financial and financial press information and get, giving us the juice so uh, this piece from mid-July notes that a Deutsche Bank briefing for its paying um, uh, people who want to be in the know had already foreseen that, quote, wood will be used for heating purposes where possible in the third and most negative of the three scenarios it was forecasting for what the Germans were going to do this winter. So that's German, uh, uh, Europe's and allegedly one of the world's economic powerhouses expecting that the plebs would be heating themselves with firewood. One country to the east, Poland, a very sophisticated economy and society, but nevertheless one which continues to rely on coal in the rural areas and among the poorer people, there's at least 10% of the Polish population that depend on coal as their main heating source for the winter. So Reuters here in the piece that Zero Hedge picked up on <clears throat> reports that there are very long queues, people sleeping in cars and parking their tractors up and going home for the night and returning to their tractor place in the queue the next morning in order to pick up a few tons of coal per person to heat a farmhouse or a home for the winter. Um, and this is, as I say, that, that something that's, yes, you're bringing on screen now, um, the image with which Reuters tweeted this out, or rather uh, one of the Reuters pieces, and this was tweeted out by Zero Hedge, you can see a very long snaking queue of large and small vehicles waiting at the gates of a coal distributor. The problem is, of course, that Poland largely produces lignite, which uh, is a lower grade of coal, largely for industrial applications. Most of it is committed to export. Uh, what really people want for their home heating is better competitively priced anthracite uh, in, in more manageable chunks. And that tends to come from Russia nicely packaged up in briquettes. Uh, of course, that has now been embargoed because of the EU's unilateral action. And we'll see more examples of European countries having problems with that uh, up to municipal level, like that French mayor I just mentioned. So here are some in, uh, images from the Reuters report. So here is a, a pensioner uh, waiting with his small hatchback to get uh, one winter's worth of uh, coal for perhaps just himself and his wife, if he's retired, or perhaps anyone else who lives with him. Then we have uh, a, mensch, a gentleman uh, who's uh, been in his tractor there. He goes home every night and comes back to the tractor um, the next morning to not lose his place in the queue. Uh, the next one after that shows uh, truckers waiting to load up uh, a whole truckload of this coal from the Polish production. Of course, the, the Poles have said that they would have enough to meet domestic uh, requirements, you know, although it's not the ideal kind, but that's proving not to be the case. And I think the last one uh, in that section there, uh, last image, if you tap that again. No, that, that's uh, it. The, the next, the, okay, that's... we're heading off to retirement age. 
Yes, we are. So let's bring that on. That's uh, that's Germany in the midst of all this is deciding that the thing to do, uh, according to Deutsche Welle, the publicly funded uh, foreign broadcasting in English uh, and other languages, the equivalent of BBC World Service, is saying the thing to do is is to uh, hike the uh, retirement age to 70, which to my knowledge, no other European country has gone as far as. Uh, but of course, if you are the likes of a coal miner, not that there's many of them in Germany anymore, uh, or any manual worker, you're pushing it to, to get past 55. Uh, so the assumption underlying that, of course, is that everyone is office workers. So quite a lot going on. Here is a silent video uh, put out uh, with with uh, sound, of course, as well, uh, by Reuters showing the extent of these queues in uh, uh, Poland. You will we won't play the whole thing out, but a bit of it, so people get a bit of an atmosphere of what's going on. Um, the commentary on here. Uh, is quoting people as saying that uh, there was some profiteering going on, that people were uh, bagging a place in the queue largely in order to resell the coal in smaller quantities. You can see that, as usual for the Poles, being dignified people and stoic, that they're, they're not being very demonstrative about what's going on, but this is their best hope for the rural and poorer and older people in Poland. This is their hope of not freezing this winter in, in a notoriously cold country on, on a plain that gets whistling winds all winter and snow most winters. Uh, this is their best hope of uh, not having to fork out hand over fist for gas, even if they do have a natural gas uh, connection. You can see the communist era infrastructure there straining to cope with all this because the, the Eastern Bloc, of course, was intended as a whole and Polish and East German lignite was meant to go all around the former Soviet bloc. Uh, and uh, largely be used for industrial purposes. So Politico, based in Brussels, in the midst of this, has got something pretty dramatic. The governor of the central bank, not all central bank governors think alike, here's the proof, Mr. Glopinski, who is a close ally of the Kaczynski brothers, of course, one of whom uh, uh, died in the Smolensk plane crash in 2010, has come out with this, uh, German territorial designs. Of course, his wing of Polish politics is utterly and resolutely opposed to Donald Tusk uh, and accuses him of being Brussels man to Germanize uh, Europe. He talks about a German Reich wanting to take over. But if we put that uh, back, we will see the original article for those who read Polish or want to or want to read it, run it through a, an online translating service in the Gazeta Polska to see that really the, central, the, the governor of the central bank of a fairly major European Union member state is saying, uh, and the whole point of the interview is about the euro, that the euro is inevitably leading to this, that ultimately Poland will lose the likes of Silesia and East Prussia back to the Germans. So quite a, a lot going on there, uh, which at, at, at root has this uh, energy disturbance behind it. Uh, we cannot leave the section on Poland and Germany without uh, mentioning this. We do have a Ukraine section forthcoming as well, but uh, this really needs little further introduction than putting the image on the screen. Mikhail Gorbachev, uh, aged uh, just over 80, uh, 19, uh, 1931 to 2022, has finally died. He was in very poor health for a long time. Without having a whole discussion about him, I would say that in the West, he is regarded as the savior uh, of his country because of his Piristroika and Glasnost. But in Russia and satellite countries, uh, both the committed communists and the committed nationalists curse the man and regard him as a globalist, as a traitor, and if you look at individual cases like the Armenia-Azerbaijan conflict, other ethnic conflicts in the Caucasus and Central Asia, uh, or indeed with what happened with the reunification of Germany, uh, the well-hidden reality which is known to people who fought 
I think on both sides of those struggles, 1988 to 91, roughly, uh, is that Gorbachev went in menacingly. And in fact, the late Christopher Story, arguably the best ever deep researcher of what the European Union is, pretty uniquely reported that Gorbachev actually punched a member of parliament, I won't forget whether it was a commoner or a lord's, in the stomach and winded him during a 1984 visit uh, because uh, he understood better English than he let on and some anti-communist remark was made. The man was, I'm afraid to say, a bully and a fraud. Yeah. Uh, thank you for that, uh, Alex. Well, I'd just like to bring this one in if we're talking economics. Uh, this was the BBC uh, a couple of days ago. Uh, just a fantastic little article, Ukraine grain ship with aid for Ethiopia docks in Djibouti. And uh, OK, this all seems very positive. Let's have a look at some of the stats that went with it. Uh, what are the ships leaving Ukraine carrying? And the biggest cargo, 791,689 tonnes was corn. We've then got wheat, sunflower, barley, rapeseed, soya, sugar, beet and peas. And uh, the BBC crowing that the first ship carrying food aid on behalf of the World Food Programme arrived at its destination today. But then we get into the heart of it because they've got another infographic where you can see the number of ships by the size of the dots. Uh, where have the Ukraine grain ships headed so far? And what you quickly see is that all of the Ukrainian grain has been hoovered up by relatively rich and wealthy countries. And if you see where the poor countries have taken a ship, it's one or two at the most. Uh, India's very, very small. Uh, Djibouti is there. So the BBC propaganda absolutely helping the line that this grain is now feeding the, the richer people in the world. Meanwhile, the, the poorer people are left to one or two odd ships. But the BBC doesn't doesn't make any valid criticism of what's happening here. Yes. OK, if you like what the UK column does and you would like to support us, then please head over to community.ukcolumn.org. There are options to help us out there. You can pick something up uh, on the UK column shop. But please do uh, share any material you find on the various platforms. Uh, right, quick advert for Alternative View. Yes, well, coming up this uh, Sunday, a uh, few people are saying to the UK column, yes, but I don't know where to find the details. So we're going to say to you today, please freeze your screen. And there is the web address. You can go to the Alternative View website and find out all the details. Very pleased to say that uh, ticket sales have gone well, but uh, there are still tickets available if you'd like to join. And as I've said many times before, the reason this event is so important is it will be the Kickstarter for live events, which form the whole basis for AV in years gone by. And of course, it's uh, this is happening due to the support of uh, UK Column. And Mike will be very busy in the studio helping this live uh, uh, this web-based broadcast to take place. Uh, we'll just put in an advert for the psychology of COVID vaccine injuries. And this is Dr. Christian uh, Buckland and Caroline Power speaking together at um, Stroud. Uh, Thursday, the, uh, let's put in the detail there, Thursday, the 1st of September at 7 p.m., Lansdowne Hall, Stroud, GL5 1BB. Tickets are £10. Uh, or pay, well, you can either book that or pay on the door. Uh, but this is a very important talk. Dr. Christian Buckland, has psychology been weaponized? Uh, media, science and the COVID crisis. And Caroline Power, Pover, beg your pardon, is giving uh, life through the lens of the vaccine uh, injured. So 
uh, this is an important thing. They're quoting other people that are now starting to speak out on all of the injuries as the result of vaccinations. And as we're hearing today, of course, uh, younger children are affected. Um, if you freeze this screen, you can see more of the details. And uh, you can also go to uh, um, the details, booking tickets, etc. Um, Alex, very briefly, please, on, the, on these. Uh, first of all, a Telegram channel you wanted to highlight? Yes, uh, a loyal viewer has, uh, and he's let us know and he's doing it, uh, put out extracts of UKCOM's main broadcasts and with a link to our community website, which is we welcome because, of course, our subscribers get to debate things there and uh, and look for follow-up because they are, they're paying. Uh, membership is the only thing that funds us as we don't uh, take adverts. Uh, On to the next mention is... Um, uh, something that uh, I did when I was with David a couple of weeks ago is we arranged a rematch two years on of our original uh, talk with John Cullen, an American cartographer and statistics whiz, uh, which went extremely well, I would say. So that's on the, web, the homepage at the moment. We have a literally one minute extract of that now where David was making to John the key point about the MHRA uh, silently changing uh, its previous uh, standard uh, line on the maximum of 10% of serious adverse effects uh, that ever get reported to a yellow card. And David in this clip is saying what that entails uh, for the contradictory way in which the authorities have to treat yellow card data now. Now, if you then take this information to a politician in Britain, um, or in fact many of the government agencies, what the reaction is is, well, they, they start to attack their own data. This data, anyone can report to this system. Mm. We don't know if this is genuine. We, it's, we it's don't a talking know. point on chat shows. People rustle their talking point papers, politicians and media people, and say, but this is just Johnny Q Public, who's clueless, sure. which yeah. isn't actually true. It's well, not true. And well, this, this doesn't mean anything. We don't know anything about these people. So they actually attack the data. So they've gone from saying this data is a, is an, a vital early warning system that might catch 10% of the serious cases to this is garbage and we can't trust it. And then when the regulator is forced to answer the question, what are you doing about safety? They point to the same data. They point to the yellow card system saying, we're monitoring. We've got the yellow card system. So it's simultaneously the gold standard of safety monitoring and garbage. It just depends who you're asking, under what context, and what they need to say to defend the status quo. So in the old literary quotation about believing six impossible things before breakfast time, well, that's the state that our regulator or pharmaceutical enabler has now got to, and they are at the pinnacle. So any politician uh, or bureaucrat who's asked about this will refer up to the MHRA. Uh, finally, in the mentions from me, we have uh, bitten the bullet and launched the letters to the editor page. Uh, the first edition I'm entitling The Great Escape. Uh, there is a whole viewer with his dear mum, and you'll see why he's put that photograph uh, in if you uh, read the letters. Uh, they cover three uh, quite different issues, but the common theme is making a great escape. And I just say, don't imagine that from now on we're going to be publishing a great bulk of letters that are purpose-written as letters to the editor. But on the other hand, if we like what people in a natural and spontaneous manner write to us, then we will consider featuring it. Straight on to the Ukraine, because time is short. A quotation on screen that has appeared in the British press uh, referring to the former Foreign Secretary Lord Lansdowne, who was no longer Foreign Secretary during the First World War, but in 1916 he, he wrote in a, an opinion piece that the, the nation should sue for peace with Germany. And the quotation is, if Lord Lansdowne had been listened to, 
We would have had no Russian Revolution, no Stalin, no Hitler, no Mussolini, and no Second World War. Britain would have survived as a major power for many decades longer than she did. Almost all world wars end in ugly compromise. We were only able to defeat Hitler because Stalin was on our side, and he, Stalin, exacted a huge price, including gobbling up Poland, the country whose independence we had gone to war to save. If you're wondering who that was, uh, Mike, if you can tap that again, we will find out who it was. That is Peter Hitchens writing in the Daily Mail under the title, A Long War in Ukraine Will Bring Nothing But Death, Poverty and Ruin. It's Time for Peace. Hitchens has had it with being called a traitor and a Jeremiah, uh, and he's got the historical learning uh, to substantiate what he's saying. What else is going on in Ukraine? Let's go on to the next slide and have a look. Uh, Sadiq Khaled is one of many uh, who are reporting the Member of Parliament, uh, Oleksiy Kovalev, only 33 years old, has become the sixth politician, in fact, the sixth Member of Parliament in, in some counties, but certainly the sixth politician, uh, who was taken out by a hit squad. He uh, was blasted with a pump-action shotgun alongside his wife, in other reports his girlfriend, but in any case the woman with whom he lived, and she was stabbed to death. And that was the sixth assassination of a so-called collaborator. Uh, I've gone and have a look uh, at the Ukrainian press to see what's going on here. So here, uh, RBK Ukraine uh, is reporting right there in the headline uh, that uh, Kovalev was a, quote, collaborationist parliamentarian uh, and is saying that Russia has confirmed the death because it seems to be uh, in the part of the country he's in, he was in, Kherson, the Russians were controlling criminal investigations on the ground. Um, Latifundist.com, which has a particular focus on agro-business, and this is, you know, the south of the Ukraine has got these huge wheat fields as we've just been talking about. They're going further uh, and talking about him as a traitor, Ahraria Zradnik, so a traitor farmer. It turns out that he became the deputy head of the uh, regional administration uh, for for the portfolio of agriculture, and he may have made local enemies. He may have been uh, on the make. Uh, he may even have had an eye to the main chance uh, in turning to collaborating with the Russians, who now hold the territory where his parliamentary seat is situated. Uh, but being blasted away with a pump-action shotgun and his wife stabbed to death uh, is being giggled at by the Ukrainian press uh, as something that he had coming, uh, and by a lot of Westerners as well. On to Jordan Schachtel, who writes in one of the best Substack blogs, The Dossier. Black hole, as billions in American arms and aid enter Ukraine, US officials receive handwritten receipts. Tap that again and you will see the details. That it's actually been in Bloomberg, a very mainstream source. There was an article over the weekend about a torrent of cash for Ukraine arms. And they quote an inspector general at the Pentagon, Sean O'Donnell, who says that Ukrainian officials do their accounting of US equipment and aid with hand receipts. It's all paper. O'Donnell added that he doesn't think they have much fidelity as to where the arms end up. That's rather diplomatic language. Straight on to the next slide. Uh, Les Echo, the French equivalent of the Financial Times, the paper for business owners, is asking, can we lose the Ukraine war? Uh, of course, it's, as you'd expect uh, of such a title, it's going on about the, the challenges to EU unity, uh, but they are actually uh, flying the flag, running a flag up the flagpole, the idea that it may be time 
to sue for peace. Germany has the same issues. So here the Mitteldeutsche Zeitung uh, reports that in Dessau, uh, one of Germany's many mid-sized cities dominated by small and medium enterprises that work hard over generations, 2,000 of mem the members uh, of the local uh, craftsmen's guild, which is a big deal in a, in a German city, um, have uh, demanded peace uh, on the mar Dessau market square. I think we have lost the silent video for that, haven't we? Or we, we've at least got a still image here uh, uh, where the craftsmen are demonstrating. Um, Mike, do we have the video for that? No, or we, not? Don't, we don't, but we should just say that there were actually, you know, it, there were, it was a huge crowd. It was a huge crowd for a small city. And this, you know, it, you should bear in mind that if you haven't been to Germany um, uh, much, that, that, you know, the, these people have a lot of weight. They would, of course, be derided by many because they're all uh, local men of a certain age, uh, obviously right of centre in their convictions, uh, not dependent on the state uh, for their funding uh, because they, they have their businesses. But just to read out a couple of uh, summaries of what was said there, Karl Krökel, who is the district master craftsman, so the head of the guild, basically, for the self-employed specialists in Dessau, said we are experiencing an energy policy disaster for which the government alone is responsible. Uh, private refineries in India are buying cheap oil from Russia and supplying the world market while a German refinery in Schwede is on the brink of collapse. The, the German the government is burdening us with immense inflation. We were deliberately placed in an energy emergency. Um, uh, there is uh, fear in this country and that can't be right. Anyone who says that arms deliveries to Ukraine are needlessly prolonging an unwinnable war are being defamed, defamed as Putin's mates and uh, a respectful discourse is no longer possible. This isn't some uh, activist saying this. This is a very staid kind of man, as you've just seen. The president of a, a peace bureau, Rainer Braun, uh, spoke about living in madness um, and uh, there, there's an urgent need to return to negotiations. And the former state, state secretary from the German Federal Minister, uh, Environment Ministry, Michael Müller, said that this war is the result of a broken promise and a winning mentality that did not negotiate on equal footing with Russia, which brings us back to the just deceased uh, Gorbachev, who was over 90, my mistake, when he died. Um, here in the Netherlands, we have some uh, knock-on effects of the coordinated sanctions. So the Dutch blogger Kevin WP uh, has reported that the city of The Hague, not the official capital, but it is where the government and the royal family are located, has, as a city at council level, applied for a temporary exoneration of EU sanctions against Russland, uh, Russia. Uh, like many uh, Dutch and European cities, it has a council level contract directly with Gazprom to supply the municipal fuel bill. And if you tap that again, you will see that the councillor Mrs. Saskia Braunus, who holds the City Council Portfolio for International Affairs and Services, has for the first time now admitted in a letter to her colleagues on the City Council that they are scrabbling around to find alternative suppliers, but they won't manage to do so before the deadline of the 10th of October, which the EU has set, to pull out of all existing contracts with Gazprom. The European Commission asked about it, had nothing to say. And as you put on screen there, uh, if you want to read in, in, in English what's going on, you can see that Reuters has picked up on this. So it's not just the alternative uh, scene talking about this. Azra Dale, one of our best bloggers and members, um, has uh, her own substack where she has caught uh, that Ukraine donors could face federal prosecution. This is as a result of what Vanessa Beely reported about the drive to get Westerners to spend a lot of money to sponsor a rocket. So they, uh, she has quoted in the page uh, the legal writer for the Italian general staff um, who has concluded in a paper that she's embedded in her substack page here that international law 
does not actually allow a civilian cyber combatant, such as somebody who pays online for uh, the bombing of Russia, to be considered a lawful combatant. combatant. So uh, this is unfair in equality or e equity or ethics. Even people who call themselves the Ukraine IT Army are warning these Western uh, armchair generals that if they get involved, they could actually legitimately be taken out. Uh, you know, there's a disparity of arms there. That's the ethical issue. Uh, and that's on screen at the moment about the use of kinetic force, which people can freeze. But you are actually opening yourself up under international law, the Tallinn Protocol, the Geneva Convention and the whole lot to being uh, subject to a targeted assassination for, uh, for for funding such things as a rocket on the on the Russians. OK, uh, this one is actually Alex's. Ah, yes. this 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 ties up with that. Reuters uh, noted that a crowdfunding website is raising money for the Ukrainian army by selling revenge messages, uh, which, of course, is Vanessa's piece. And she's noted already that Reuters picked up on it after she did. This was retweeted by Ben Pyle, who's quite big on Twitter, who uh, wrote some cynical and apt remarks about this. You, too, can kill some foreign child. Um, and somebody underneath has retweeted the reply to that with, is this Reuters just catching up with UK column who reported on this days ago? Well done, Lapib. Yeah. yeah, excellent. Uh, well, we're going to have a look at some uh, very, very short uh, film clips to illustrate what's been happening in Ukraine. Of course, the Ukrainians did attack in many places along the front line. Uh, they were quickly rebuffed uh, by the Russians with very, very heavy casualties. Uh, but I wanted to say, Mike, isn't it interesting that uh, Boris Johnson didn't have a reply to the questions about the uh, pitiful state of U UK. Of course, it was only a few days ago that Boris Johnson was back in Ukraine to see Zelensky and many of the uh, knowledgeable commentators looking at local newspapers and reports uh, suspect that one of the things that Boris Johnson was doing was encouraging Zelensky to call for this so-called offensive. Mm. They haven't got the troops or the weapons to do it. So this is the sort of thing that took place. Some of this is disturbing. There's nothing particularly graphic, but you will understand that uh, this is not the most pleasant thing to say. So Ukrainian offensive consisted largely of very small groups of troops trying to move forward. Uh, sometimes, as we will see, they had armoured vehicles with them. But ultimately, uh, all the Russians did is uh, ramped up their shelling and these troops were ultimately uh, killed, taken out where they stood. Uh, this, is, uh, this is what happened when armoured vehicles were involved. So uh, you can see very clearly here we've got, I think they're armoured personnel carriers. The one that's hit may ultimately be a tank. And encourage people to go and see and check sources themselves. There are many very good reporters now. Uh, talking about what's happening. Uh, but these uh, Ukrainians dying um, completely need needlessly, but uh, simply as a result of Zelensky's interaction with the West. Uh, this is where it gets uh, very, very serious. And we can see the sheer force of the Russian systems being unleashed on defended areas by the Ukrainians. Nobody knows at the moment exactly how many Ukrainians died in the offensive. But certainly in one area, they seem to be talking about casualties of uh, over a thousand killed. Uh, this shows the scale of the detonations on the ground. And if we move on here, um, it's been reported in many places uh, that uh, there were many ambulances called into action in the big cities to cope with the scale of the um, injured Ukrainian soldiers. And also there were calls throughout Ukraine for people to donate blood. So this is 
particularly uh, sad, and this is as a result of the West uh, fighting this proxy war to the last Ukrainian. Uh, there are also many reports of the Ukrainians uh, now refusing to fight. I haven't got the uh, uh, translation of the text here, but uh, there are many reports, uh, uh, both Russian and Ukrainian sources. This is yet another one here. And I'm just going to end by uh, putting up the uh, Ukrainian MP assassinated, uh, because of course what is actually happening now is Ukraine is is descending into a dictatorship which is largely out of control and people are being murdered for showing any signs of wanting to challenge the conduct of the war or relations with Russia. Yeah, so what we've been reporting over the last few weeks of uh, Britain, uh, effectively training uh, many of these people that are being sent back to the front to die, uh, five, well, was it five weeks training they're getting before they go? Well, the EU's decided to get involved in this as well. So uh, the EU held uh, a defence minister's uh, meeting uh, yesterday. And uh, well, here's the doorstep. Well, we're not going to play the video clip, but uh, Joseph Burrell, uh, the high representative, in other words, the foreign minister, at the informal meeting of defence ministers, uh, ministers will discuss the idea of putting in place a high-level training mission for the Ukraine army because uh, Britain's uh, training programme isn't going quickly enough. We need more people dying on the front lines, apparently. And that is what's going to happen to them because they're going to be facing shelling and they're going to die. Um, in the meantime, you know, last week we were talking about uh, the, the fact that the idea of anybody pushing any kind of narrative contrary to the government narrative is being blamed or accused of being Kremlin propagandist. Well, this continues. Here's the Daily Beast tw tweeting this out. Kremlin-controlled propagandists are hard at work promoting the Breibart-produced film My Son Hunter. This is the one that uh, Patrick uh, showed the trailer for at the very end of the programme on Friday. Uh, and the tweet goes on to say, which sets to premiere on the 7th of September and apparently centres on the various conspiracy theories about US President Joe Biden and his son Hunter. Well, that's uh, that one tweet is a disgrace. Uh, now, uh, coming back to Russia then, uh, the mainstream press was uh, saying how serious it was that the Russians were ha holding their Vostok 2022 uh, exercise uh, in the east of the country with China taking part as well. But in fact, it wasn't just China that was taking part. Uh, so Vostok 22 strategic command post exercise focuses on military security in the eastern region is what they pushed out on the, this is the Russian Ministry of Defense on their uh, telegram channel. Vostok 2022 Strategic Command post-exercise will be held from 1st of September to the 7th of September 2022, headed by the Chief of Staff of the Armed Forces of the Russian Federation. A total of more than 50,000 servicemen, more than 5,000 pieces of uh, uh, weapons and military equipment, 140 aircraft, 60 ships, boats and support vessels uh, will be involved. Uh, but uh, look at the list of countries. Uh, so we've got the what they're describing as the Collective Security Treaty Organization, the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, and other partner states, including Azerbaijan, Algeria, Armenia, Belarus, India, Kazakhstan, uh, Kyrgyzstan, uh, China, uh, Laos, Mongolia, Nicaragua, uh, and Syria, and the Republic of uh, Tajikistan. So this is not just about Russia and China. This is a much broader base. Uh, and Alex, just in 10 seconds, is this... Is this who we're going to view as the enemies in a forthcoming war? 
Well, it's a contiguous block, isn't it? It's Russia right through to Southeast Asia, very much overlapping with the old communist bloc. Uh, but even countries that are in a hot shooting war with each other at the moment, Armenia and Azerbaijan, uh, would prefer to stay in this collective security arrangement uh, because they know what's coming if they step out of it. Yes. OK, and let's uh, look at our next uh, prime minister, perhaps uh, Liz Truss. And uh, well, her spokesperson is speaking out uh, about her new stance on China. Uh, Liz has toughened the UK's stance on Beijing since becoming foreign secretary and would continue to take a hawkish stance as prime minister, says her spokesperson. Uh, it goes, the spokesperson goes on to say she's been active in calling out uh, China's economic coercion, working with G7 and other allies to mobilise investments uh, into low and middle income countries as a counter to China's Belt and Road Initiative. Uh, and I would just make the point, if Liz Truss is taking a stronger position on China, well, that seems to fit pretty well with what the Grey Zone was talking about in this uh, article. Operation Surprise, leaked emails, exposed secret intelligence coup to install Boris Johnson. And in this article, they were saying that the uh, Richard Dearlove, Cabal, Gwydion Prince and so on uh, was uh, had effectively helped Boris Johnson. They'd helped remove Theresa May, put Boris Johnson into power. But then when Boris Johnson was still being soft on China, at the end, uh, they felt that uh, uh, it was time for him to go. And suddenly Liz Truss is taking a much more bullish uh, view on China. That maybe it's just a coincidence. Uh, but I just remember, remind everybody, of course, that uh, Politico attacked uh, the grey zone for uh, highlighting that particular uh, email leak and the implications of it. Yeah. Um, so, Alex, let's come on to this then. and. Uh, this is a, a Pentagon statement, apparently, Russian military unlikely to succeed in recruitment. According to The Hill reporting from Washington, the Pentagon uh, is sneering at this possible uh, uh, increase in the size of the Russian armed forces, um, up to 130 odd thousand, if I remember correctly. Uh, and a, a senior uh, officer was quoted anonymously as saying to The Hill, many of these new recruits have been observed as older, unfit and ill-trained. Uh, on to the next slide to see how the Americans are doing with their army recruitment right now. Associated Press reports, army program gives poor performing recruits a second chance. They start that article by talking about a man who over a decade has failed the army's basic academic competence test 10 times and who's still being encouraged to retry. And if you tap this slide, you will find uh, the meat of it which is that uh, General McConville, who's in charge of this whole department of the army, says we have some young men and women, he's talking about nearly 30 in some cases, you know, that this isn't euphemisms for teenagers, that want to serve, that have some challenges on the academic and physical side here. And we want, what we want to do is give them that opportunity. Uh, so uh, they're getting school board exercises on how to, com com how to calculate a 6% sales tax, how to calculate speed, uh, how to read, how to write. Um, and then on the fitness side, those who are over uh, between two and six percent over the body fat standards for their age and sex or gender, as it's now called, of course, are also being encouraged to have it a, have a go again. Russia does not seem to have this kind of problem. Well, let's go on quickly to the next slide. Uh, there's uh, broader problems and we do not want to make capital out of anyone's death. We're treading carefully here. But yet another U.S. Navy suicide. Uh, Military.com reports it. Aircrew, aviation, electrician electrician's mate, striker uh, Brandon Caserta, uh, a long rank title, a 21-year-old man. It's taken four and a bit years for his inquiry, uh, his inquest to come through. Uh, but the details, if you tap that again, are pretty awful. 
he was um, being bullied basically to drive, although it was known that he couldn't drive and had a phobia about, about driving. He was being told, you will drive the big 18-seater and take your turn with all the others who are in your rank on this station. Uh, and he decided to walk into the spinning tail rotor of an MH60S helicopter, having first apologized to the pilot that he would have to go and see that. And in his suicide note, he asked the, for the, uh, his parents to, quote, go after the process called a re-rate, which put him in a job that the, the Navy knew he hated and was unsuitable for. And he wanted as many people in his chain of command as possible, quote, fired, kicked out, or at the very least, lose rank. U.S. Navy at sea, what's going on there? Well, Coast Guard, not the Navy, but uh, vessels anyway, requested to refuel in the Solomon Islands in a sensitive part of the Pacific. And tap that again and you will see that the Solomon Islands decided not to respond to the U.S. Coast Guard vessel Oliver Henry's request to refuel in port. Halfway down that page, you see that HMS Spey, a Royal Navy patrol vessel also taking part in this anti-illegal fishing operation in the Pacific, um, requested um, port access and apparently was declined. But the Royal Navy spokesman, spokesperson, said by email that we will not comment on this. So it looks like the Solomonese are not being, uh, not, not minded to serve as, uh, as refueling stations there. Uh, a bit more on this segment. Uh, this is notable because of who's tweeted it out. It's not just a meme. Uh, one of these nine pain um, uh, ideas of who, what people think I am. People will know this meme. The bottom right-hand corner is the important one because it's it's a 9-11 theme. What America supposedly actually does is allegedly, according to this meme, blow up its own buildings. Who tweeted this? Let's tap that again. And we will see that it's Chao Lijian, who is... Um, uh, in doing so, is saying uh, even a nation needs a clear understanding of himself. Charlie Jan is not just any government official. Tap one more time, and you will see that he is the number two at the Chinese Foreign Ministry's Department of Information. He is, in fact, the MFA's official spokesman. He has a long history of tweeting out spicy and provocative things, including on American race relations and other social problems. Uh, but there you go. Uh, somebody pretty high up the, the pecking order the Chinese equivalent of Maria Zakharova uh, is, is now actually um, talking about uh, a supposed American culpability for 9-11 and nobody bats an eyelid. Yes, well, we'll just very quickly uh, move on to this. And uh, well, this report here from uh, Rear Admiral Moorhouse uh, on the sad state of the HMS uh, Prince of Wales, uh, which, as we reported a couple of days ago, was leaving Portsmouth to head over to uh, the United States to take part in various exercises and also the uh, Atlantic Future Forum event at the end of September. Unfortunately, uh, it broke down straight after leaving port. It's currently moored off the coast of uh, the Isle of Wight. They're taking it, they're moving it to a, a safer mooring where they're going to try and work out exactly what the problem is. But this is a spectacular uh, PR disaster and soft power disaster, Brian. Uh, bearing in mind, that's really all the use of these ships is for soft power. Um, well, you're, you're, you're absolutely right, Mike. Mike, it's disastrous. But of course, this was coming because the decay and breakdown that we're seeing in wider society, whether it's the police or the NHS, has also been happening inside the military. And uh, many years ago, UK Column was told that the Royal Navy simply couldn't cope with refits of the larger ships because there was no experience left, particularly in the um, um, engineering officer class. So this is deliberate breakdown. The country's being hollowed out. We're being attacked. But let's just end with this uh, amazing um, find. And I'm going to thank John very much, a UK column viewer, for sending this in. This is Serco calling all landlords. 
Serco provides asylum accommodation and support services in the northwest of England, Midlands and east of England. Our purpose is the provision of accommodation, transportation and subsistence payments for asylum seekers whilst their claims are being processed. We're looking for landlords and investors across the northwest, Midlands and east of England. All types of properties are required. So asylum seekers for profit, this is uh, using the suffering of uh, immigration and asylum seekers. Uh, so that the biggest company you've never heard of, Serco, um, there's a really excellent YouTube video about Serco under that title, the biggest company you've never heard of can make profits. And uh, here's a bit of the detail from the website where they're asking for uh, landlords to get in touch and you can fill in a whole load of detail about the properties you've got. So uh, public assets being sold off, Mike, you've talked about that many times before. And now we've got these private companies simply coming in to break down the uh, nature of uh, the UK as a nation state, uh, all, all for profit, of course. Yes. So we'll leave it there. I think we should leave it there. We probably should choose a meme. So should we do that for you, Alex? Choose what you think most suitable, Brian, out of oh. my clutch. And those of you who are subscribers will get to see the rest in extra time. Here we are. Uh, this is the wonderful meme of the non-playing character whom I'd never heard of until David, who is older than me, spotted them. So age is no barrier to uh, meme savviness. Uh, here we have the non-playing character. The, the idea of this character is it's somebody who's, who doesn't have a mind of their own. They're just uh, told what to think by the media. And this character is saying, hey, cool, government's trying to make my life easier with a digital currency, central bank digital currency. And with narrow tunnel vision, the character is only seeing convenience right ahead and is missing the factors, zero privacy, cybersecurity attacks, zero anonymity. Uh, all your movements and actions are traceable. Centralization, frozen funds, access to your money can be turned off at any moment. Every transaction documented, social credit scores, vulnerability to state and foreign actors and banks have full control of every penny you own. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Alex, David, Debbie, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, we really had too much to cover today because, of course, the news around us is becoming more incredible by the day, but we'll do our best to uh, cover the key aspects. And uh, I'm just going to say once again to viewers and listeners, have a think about the concept that if you cannot understand policies being put into place by the government when you see the damage and the uh, collapse and the suffering, uh, simply ask yourself, could it be that the UK government is now essentially a foreign power attacking its own public? Uh, many people think that this uh, twist starts to answer some key questions, but I'll leave you to think about that. Back in a few minutes uh, for some extra. We will. Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye.